This is Africa Digest. Welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective, broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find us on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Mura Mangesi and I'm in studio with Jualani Tulo, as well as Musabudi Makura. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. 73 hours to the African Nations Soccer Championship officials in the host country Cameroon have deployed troops to protect players. Malawi's President Lazarus Chakwera declares state of national disaster as the first step towards a possible state of emergency to quell increasing cases of COVID-19. And Human Rights Watch says U.S. President-elect Joe Biden should work with global leaders to restore human rights. Right now, though, it is time for us to cross on over to the news desk, where Twalani Tulo is standing by to let us know what is happening in your latest news bulletin. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. The West African Regional Group ECOWAS has urged Mali to quickly prepare its plan for elections to replace a transitional government put in place after August's coup. The delegation, which has just finished a two-day mission to Mali, urged all parties to engage in more dialogue so as to guarantee peace and stability in the country. The role of the transitional government was to prepare the country for a return to civilian rule within 18 months. The delegation also commented on a recent alleged attempt to de stabilize the transition, which has led to the arrest of several civilians. The mission will report on its visit and make recommendations to the region's heads of state at a summit in a few weeks. Health authorities in Taiwan say the island has confirmed its first case of the South African variant of the coronavirus. The man in his 30s, who comes from Eswatini, had arrived in Taiwan to work in December and began developing symptoms while in quarantine. He was confirmed to have COVID-19 on January the 3rd. Kanyisile Manyoni reports. Anyone arriving from South Africa or Eswatini or who had been there within the previous 14 days would have to quarantine at a centralised facility, which already applies to travellers coming from Britain. The Kingdom of Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, is Taiwan's only remaining diplomatic ally on the continent. South Africa reported a new peak of more than 21,000 daily infections last week, taking the total coronavirus cases to more than 1.2 million, the highest in Africa. Related deaths now exceed 33,000. Taiwan has reported 843 cases, including seven deaths. Health experts in Britain say data on the highly contagious COVID-19 variant identified in England shows that vaccines are still effective against it, while data on the South African variant should be available within weeks. Wei Sen Lin, chairperson of COVID-19 immunization on Britain's Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization, says the data on the UK variant doesn't suggest that it will be any less well-protected against the vaccine. Research into the variant identified in South Africa are still ongoing. 
The U.S. says it will not observe Uganda's general elections on Thursday after 75% of its election observer accreditation requests were turned down by the Electoral Commission. Ambassador Natalie Brown says the commission provided no explanation for its decision despite multiple requests. In a statement, Brown says only a small randomly selected handful of observers were approved from a team of 88 observers. She says Uganda's elections will lack the accountability, transparency and confidence that observer missions provide. Ugandans will be electing a new parliament and president in the election. President Yoweri Museveni, who has been in power for 35 years, will be seeking a sixth term. And finally, more than 100 people have been killed in renewed ethnic attacks in the rest of Metakal zone of Ethiopia's western Bengashul Humuz region. Local opposition satellite channel ESAT TV is reporting that the attacks were carried out on Monday and Tuesday. The report says that 130 civilians were killed by Gumuz gunmen in various districts in Metakal zone on Monday. This is yet to be confirmed by officials. Last month, more than 200 people were killed in an ethnic attack in the same region. The incident took place hours after Prime Minister Abe Ahmed visited the region to assess the security situation. Headlines at 5.30 for Channel Africa. I'm Cholani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. The Zambian media in the new year, 2021, shall be instrumental as the country undertakes two major events, the general elections in August and census of population and housing. But as the media is preparing for those two major events of the year, COVID-19 is equally hitting hard from another angle, making journalists more concerned of the happenings in the year. Arthur Sikopo shares some of the concerns from Lusaka. Zambia in the year 2021 has a number of undertakings. And key is the August 12th general election that will see election of a president and vice, members of parliament and local and municipality leaders. The country is again scheduled to have another huge task of knowing exactly the population of persons in the landlocked nation under the census of population and housing. The census of population and housing is done every after 10 years and the last time it was done was in 2010. And thence, it was supposed to be carried out in 2020. But due to a number of factors like COVID-19, late receiving of equipment and lack of resources, the exercise was moved to 2021. As the country prepares for these and other undertakings, COVID-19 is also, on the other hand, hitting hard, as seen in the recent increase in cases, from the highest recorded of 450 in 2020 to now over 1,000 240 cases in just 24 hours in the early of 2021. The increase in cases is worrying to the media. A journalist from Lusaka who sought not to reveal their identity says she has had fears, especially that mostly political events tend not to be rosy when covering them. Of course, we have to get ready for census as well as the elections, which I am scared of. I have been saying this, I think, since last year, that I'm very scared for my life as a journalist because of so much violence that is taking place. Also, because sometimes people perceive you to be aligned to a particular political party, then your life is in danger. But I hope that um, I will be safe. We need to be protected from all angles because we are the fourth state and we are supposed to be informing 
informing the public on everything that's going to be happening. So it's going to be a busy year, of course, not forgetting COVID-19. Also, I think it's, it's a risky year because we are going to be up and about. Zambia Institute of Independent Media Alliance, Zima President, Jaja Kulibali, urges journalists to remain focused and avoid being used to spell propaganda for any of the contesting political entities. Mr. Kulibali further calls for efficiency in the coverage of census or population and housing when it will be undertaken. Our message to, to, to our fellow journalists is uh, to remain uh, focused, not to relent and uh, let them avoid being used uh, by policymakers or rather the people that will be charged with the responsibility of administering these major, major events such as uh, the elections, the stakeholders that uh, that will be involved, which is uh, political parties. And of course, uh, that goes to, to, to the census as well. Health concerns have equally come in. And it is evident that journalists being all over, covering events and ensuring that people are well informed, some have already been infected with COVID-19, which is in its second wave. Two journalists in Zambia are currently in isolation after contracting the COVID-19 pandemic. Richard Mulonga of the Bloggers of Zambia now shares his organization's views and proposes some solutions to the two major events that will take place in Zambia, the elections and, of course, the census. We have the Electoral Code of Conduct that prescribes how journalists must behave and how journalists must be treated by the police by the Electoral Commission of Zambia. Also, we require journalists to, 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 to adhere to professionalism, ethical conduct, to ensure that we don't disrupt some of these legitimate processes that are going on in responding to the what? To the COVID-19 pandemic. So we need the, the police to respect the work of journalists. We also need the journalists to recognize and respect the work of the police. From the concerns raised, it is evident that the Zambian media have a load ahead of them in the year 2021. And critically, their safety is key if the general public is to be well informed. Arthur Devteskopo reporting for Channel Africa in Lusaka, Zambia. 73 hours to the African Nations Soccer Championship. Officials in the host country, Cameroon, have deployed troops to protect players across Africa as separatists vow to stop the games in the rest of English-speaking regions. The government is assuring football fans from across Africa that the games will be safe and that measures have also been taken to stop the spread of COVID-19. Moki Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. The official song of the African Nations Championship chant by Cameroon singer Jane Mary Ihims plays in markets and popular spots in Cameroon's capital city Yaoundé ahead of the official kickoff of the tournament on January 16. The local organizing committee of Chan asked the song We Are All Champions to be played to keep football fans in the mood for the competition. 31-year-old Telesphon Dumbe says he supports Cameroon and is looking for the team's supporters' t-shirt to buy. Football is a divide factor in Cameroon and the war at large. 
So I'm expecting that during this period, hatred, anger will subside. And I think that will be a beginning of a new relief that we have to experience. We are being one of those cities that will be hosting some of the teams. I think that we are going to experience some activities here that we have never experienced. Ndumbe said he would be watching the matches in stadiums in Yaoundé and the games in other towns on TV. Chan matches will be played in Yaoundé, the coastal city Douala, and the English-speaking southwestern town of Limbe. Thomas Ndive Mulongo, president of the Cameroon Football Federation, Fekafoot, in the English-speaking southwest region where Limbe is located, says people are anxiously waiting for the tournament to begin. The people of the southwest region are passionate about the game of football. With the facilities, the infrastructures we have today in our region, we are proud. It's not only the football in the field of play, but uh, it has economic multiplier effects to the community and the, uh, and the host towns. But separatists have warned on social media that countries taking part in the championship should not go to the southwest region. The separatists in messages on Facebook, YouTube and WhatsApp say the English-speaking regions are crisis-prone and the safety of the teams cannot be assured there. Bernard Okalia Bilai, governor of the English-speaking southwest region, says measures have been taken to ensure the safety of soccer fans, officials and players from Africa and beyond. He spoke via a messaging app from Boya, capital of the southwest region. He says when the separatist crisis started in November 2016, the 20,000 capacity Limbe Stadium hosted the Female African Football Cup of Nations. He says in 2017 and 2018, Cameroon's national soccer team played against Gabon and Gambia in Limbe. He says the successful hosting of such international matches is indication that the security and safety of football fans from across Africa and beyond will be assured despite separatist threats. Bilai added there are still some pockets of resistance from separatists fighting to create an English-speaking state in French-majority Cameroon. He said the military and police have been deployed to deal with separatists who failed to surrender. Cameroon's sports minister, Narcisse Mwele Kombi, says the Central African country has also taken measures to stop the spread of COVID-19. Total sera le plus grand événement sportif international au niveau mondial. He says the African Nations Championship will be one of the world's first major sporting events since the advent of COVID-19. He says in order to respect COVID-19 prevention measures, Cameroon will strictly apply recommendations from the Confederation of African Football and admit into each stadium only 25% of capacity. He says the number of spectators will be increased to 50% of each stadium's capacity, starting with the quarterfinals level. He says besides keeping a distance of at least 1.5 meters, every spectator will be required to wear a face mask. L'impératif du port de masque partout les spectateurs.
Cameroon will play in Group A with Mali, Burkina Faso and Zimbabwe, while Group B comprises Libya, DR Congo, Congo and Niger. Group C has Morocco, Rwanda, Uganda and Togo, while Group D has Zambia, Guinea, Namibia and Tanzania. The African Nations Championship exclusively features players from each nation's respective national champions. Chan will serve as a warm-up for Cameroon ahead of the 2022 African Cup of Nations the Central African State will be hosting. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Laos President Lazarus Chakwera has declared state of national disaster as the first step towards a possible state of emergency to quell increasing cases of COVID-19. On Tuesday, Malawi lost two cabinet ministers, Linkson Belekanyama and Sidik Mia, to the pandemic after testing positive last week. George Mahango reports from Blantyre in Malawi. The two ministers, Linkson Belekanyama of local government and rural development, Sidik Mia of transport and public works, are among the 50 people that have died due to the recent wave of COVID-19 since January the 1st, 2021. Mia was also the main financial and vice president of the ruling Malay Congress Party MCP and Beleganyama was a lawmaker and staunch member of the party itself. The two were buried on the same day. Currently, the number of those that have died since April last year to the pandemic hovers at around 245, according to health officials. The Malawi leader has also called for an emergency meeting with the Presidential Task Force on COVID-19 to put in place further measures on how to combat the pandemic. I declare a state of national disaster in respect of all the districts of the country with effect from today, January 12, 2021. I therefore appeal for more assistance from international community, relevant United Nations agencies, non-governmental organizations, and the private sector for uncommon contributions towards the resources needed to meet the present challenge of the pandemic. Such donations in cash or in kind should be sent to the Commission of Disaster Management Affairs in my office on Private Back 336, along with 3. This declaration of a state of national disaster is but a first step towards a possible declaration of a state of emergency subject to consultation with and approval from the Defense and Security Committee of the National Assembly as stipulated in Section 45 of the Constitution. But various organizations, just like commentators, want schools and bars to be closed to contain the situation. Human Rights Defenders Coalition, HRDC Chairperson Gift Trappins, thinks this could solve the matter. But the presidential address fell short of talk about the future of secondary and primary schools since they are still operational. I have called for an emergency meeting of the presidential task force on COVID-19, which has thus far done a commendable job of providing expert guidance on our fight against the spread of this virus. The emergency meeting will explore 
additional measures to be effected immediately in view of my declaration of a state of national disaster across the country. Lilongo also directed that borders should be closed and those entering the country should be tested and put on quarantine. Last week, Chakwira ordered the police to ensure that bars are closed by 8 p.m. and that no more than 100 people should gather at one place. But this seems to be falling on deaf ears. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time. Human Rights Watch says U.S. President-elect Joe Biden should work with global leaders who have sought to shore up a global defense of human rights around the world. In its World Report 2021 released today, the organization says his administration should also look for ways to entrench respect for human rights in the U.S. policy uh, that are more likely to survive the radical changes among administrations that have become a fixture of the U.S. political landscape. To discuss this further, we have on the line Diwa Mabinga, Human Rights Watch Southern Africa Director. Welcome to Africa Digest. Uh, thank you so much, Samara, for having me on the show. Thank you. Now, could you tell us, what does the report say about U.S. President-elect Joe Biden? What does his presidency present? Well, to begin with, it's, it's uh, a huge opportunity for a, a fresh start for the U.S. government, uh, given that uh, Joe Biden is coming uh, at, uh, on the back of really troubling and concerning policies that were pursued by outgoing President Donald Trump. And so it is really uh, an appeal and, um, uh, to the U.S. government to place human rights at the center of this foreign policy agenda in ways that would address the damage that was done under the previous administration. And what must his administration do in order to ensure that it entrenches respect for human rights in U.S. policy? Well, to begin with, if you're looking at Africa, a more purposeful and direct focus on rogue or pariah states, you know, for example, what's happening in Uganda, there is need for the U.S. to show through action that it condemns human rights abuses. Uh, and it needs to speak out more when you look at, you know, uh, problem countries like Zimbabwe, uh, you know, what's happening in, in Ethiopia. Uh, we are expecting basically uh, leadership from the U.S. government under uh, President uh, Joe Biden, uh, leadership that was sorely lacking uh, with uh, President Trump. And how should the incoming U.S. administration embed respect for human rights in its foreign policy? Well, I, I, mostly it would be uh, through, you know, uh, resources, uh, support, uh, for example, to uh, the multilateral institutions that promote and protect human rights. For example, uh, the uh, UN, uh, United Nations um, uh, Human Rights Council, uh, you know, the, under President uh, Trump. Uh, there was um, a movement back and a withdrawal of funds. So 
a funding of key institutions is very important. Uh, so, for example, if you look at uh, you know the fight you know to combat the uh, global COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a major human rights issue. Uh, there is need for the U.S. to uh, put funding to support the World Health Organization, to support the U.N. Human Rights Council, to support African institutions uh, that uh, speak up and defend human rights. This is uh, one of the key ways in which you know the U.S. foreign policy can be you know can be uh, outlined and be used to enhance human rights respect. And how did Donald Trump's administration do when it comes to respecting human rights? Well, it was, I think, for for everyone to see, particularly events of last week, you know, the, the you know attacks, um, the, the violence on Capitol Hill. But more broadly, over four years, uh, there was a general disregard uh, of uh, human rights values, uh, which was quite concerned in, in some ways which emboldened, you know, rogue states that then began to question, uh, you know, America's position as a human rights champion. So in many ways, Donald Trump undermined respect for human rights, removed uh, the U.S. leadership and emboldened rogue states and completely ignored, you know, uh, hot spots of human rights abuses um, uh, on the African continent, you know, with China, uh, with Russia, uh, in, in Europe. And this has uh, uh, to stop. And uh, President Joe Biden has this important opportunity now uh, to address that and to take corrective measures and to uh, place human rights back at the center of, you know, the uh, foreign policy agenda as well as the domestic uh, uh, policy agenda of the U.S. government. All right, and what mistakes should President-elect Joe Biden not repeat from his predecessor when it comes to respecting the human rights? Well, I, I think to begin with, um, um, uh, one of the biggest mistakes uh, that uh, President Trump uh, uh, performed that need not be repeated is to ignore you know, human rights concerns, uh, to uh, cut critical funding uh, from key human rights institutions uh, to uh, take a unilateral position of uh, disregard for uh, other nations' concerns, uh, which was much more pronounced under Trump. And these are the mistakes that uh, uh, President Biden should avoid. He should ensure that when they speak about human rights respect, so the, the, the issues, the policies must be backed up by action and by resources, by funding to uh, civil society groups by funding institutions that are working hard uh, to promote and protect human rights globally. All right. Well, Dio, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And that was Dio Mabenga, Human Rights Watch South Africa Director. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that 
discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees. The flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one -on -one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. Gateway to Africa is our entertaining and educational tourism, travel and business show. Join us every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time as we explore the tourism landscape in Africa. Make a date with Gateway to Africa every Wednesday at 10 hours Central African time. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Now for your latest uh, news headlines, here's uh, Joalini Tulo. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, the West African Regional Group ECOWAS has urged Mali to quickly prepare its plan for elections to replace a transitional government put in place after August coup. Health authorities in Taiwan say the island has confirmed its first case of the South African variant of the coronavirus. And finally, the U.S. says it will not observe Thursday's general elections, uh, Uganda's Thursday general elections, rather, after 75% of its election observer accreditation requests were turned down by the Electoral Commission. For Channel Africa, I'm Chodani Tulo. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. The International Labour Organization, ILO, has released a new report analyzing the situation of home workers worldwide, whose numbers have increased significantly since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. The report, titled Working from Home... Uh, from invisibility to decent work provides the latest global estimates of home worker numbers, including by gender, gives a breakdown of sectors, working conditions, and the risk they face working from home. It compares the wages of home workers and non-home workers, examines home worker regulations and home worker uh, regulations and makes a series of recommendations. To discuss this further, we're on the line with Sergey Suarez, international labor organization expert. Welcome to Africa Digest. Thank you very much. Could you tell us more about this report? What are the main findings? So the main findings of the report are that homework is something that has always existed and it will always exist. And because for a period, many economic uh, schools of thought thought that you know homework would eventually disappear, that it would be taken over by the factory. This has not happened, and it's not going to happen. And the result of the COVID epidemic shows us have that not only is it not going to happen, it may likely become even more prevalent than it is right now. And that's the first point. The second point is that Homework suffers from a lack of regulation. There's a lot of, you know, the labor market is extremely regulated. And one of the things that is important is that this regulation is thought for people who work in a firm or at, at, a, at the employer's premises and not for homeworkers. So we really, really need to regulate homework a lot better. And that's one, of these things, and that's one of the things that the pandemic has shown us. We didn't do our homework for regulating homework, you know, uh, forgive the pun. And now we're paying the price. We, we don't even have adequate statistics for homework because we had never worked homework into our statistical system. And what are some of the risks so, which are faced by those working from home? Okay, so... Working from home is, is complicated. This lack of regulation, the isolation, they, they suffer the fact that they don't have strong unions that, that speak up on their behalf. All of this uh, leaves them with considerable decent work deficits. So first, there are um, earnings gaps. Home workers usually make less than equivalent workers who are not working at home. Okay? This is true of every country. It is true of the United Kingdom. It is true of South Africa. It is true of India. The one place that we found that wasn't totally like that was um, Italy. But once you took hours into consideration, then then homeworkers also made less in Italy. And 
One of the things that is important is that there is a homework penalty, okay? Some people may argue that this penalty would be a compensating differential since homeworkers don't need to commute and don't need to pay for the commute. They, can, uh, they may be living further away. They may pay less for their, uh, for their um, housing since they are allowed to live further away from the city center. But on the other hand, they also have to often um, buy their own electricity, pay for their own tools and stuff like that, which is important from the point of view of their work. So it's not clear that compensating differentials are, are, are at work. And what's more, sometimes these differences are so large that it's way beyond the pale of compensating differentials. So home workers make less than workers who work uh, outside the home. They are also have a very large social protection deficit since often they don't contribute and or there's no one who contributes on their behalf for social security. They have high rates of industrial accidents, industrial home workers, because often they work in their homes with chemicals and other substances without the adequate uh, protective equipment and the adequate, sometimes without adequate training. Um, home workers also have a problem with insecurity in hours. Sometimes they will work four hours on one day and you know 14 on the next. And uh, they're, they're, so there are various problems that home workers face, and most of these problems can be traced back to insufficient regulation. There would be none of this is essential is, is an essential characteristic of homework. On all of this is a characteristic of poorly regulated homework. All right, and uh, what are some of the findings, you know, in comparison of to wages um, between home workers versus non-home workers? So what we found is that there are wage gaps for all, all, all home workers. So South Africa was one of the countries we, um, we investigated, and we found a wage gap of 30%, so that a home worker will make 30% less than an equivalent, um, an equivalent worker who, works far, who does not work at home. It's more or less the same in Mexico and Argentina. We found wage gaps in India, which were higher, closer to 40, and wage gaps in the United Kingdom and in Italy, which were closer to 14 or 10 percent, so that it's though the, the wage gap is higher for poorer countries in general and lower for richer countries, but it exists. It is it is almost universal. It exists. It's a ubiquitous. It's all over the the place. The wage gap, and we think that the, that this may happen because of home workers' isolation. Remember, if you're working from home you don't participate in the social networks. I mean, informal social networks. I don't mean things like Facebook or, or WhatsApp or whatever. You don't participate in the social network of the firm you're working for, okay? So that makes it so that you are less present, you are less thought of, so you're possibly passed up for promotion, you're not, um, you're not paid as well. So I think that in ultimate analysis, it is this isolation, the social isolation faced by the home workers, which is responsible for the fact that they make less than equivalent people who are not home working. All right, Sergey, thank you very much for joining us. All right, thank you very much. And uh, we hope uh, that you stay safe throughout this pandemic, whether you're home working or not. Uh, likewise to you. And that was ILO expert Sergey Suarez joining us on the line.
As traditional media strategies faltered, 2020 highlighted the growing relevances of social media marketing and the need for businesses to relook customer engagement. Social media usage soared both in numbers of users and the amount of time spent on social media platforms globally. Social Media 101, a South African company, believes that there's a need for businesses to improve the way they use social media in 2021 in order to boost the way they market themselves. Leandri Janssen van Fieren from Social Media 101 joins us on the line. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, Leandri, thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thank you very much for having me. Now, how important is it that companies offer quality content on their social media pages? So I think gone are the days of hashtag Monday motivation and fluffy content. I think now more than ever, consumers are looking for value. And that value needs to be both valuable to the business as well as the consumers at the end of the receiving line. So it's not just about pushing content into your audiences, but it's about adding value. So that could be valuable industry insights and and things like that. All right. And do you think companies can benefit from being true and authentic? 100%. I think... One of the biggest things out there is is that when we are engaging on social media, we really want brands to be human. We want them to add that human touch. For example, show what happens behind the scenes, whether it's selling a product, sharing stories about how they make it, where the inspiration comes from. And don't forget to talk about the people behind behind the brand and respond to those queries from the users in a warm and human tone. I think very often brands get it wrong you know, by being robotic and trying to just automate everything. It's really very, very important to remember that the, at the end of that screen, there's a real live human being that you're interacting with, and you've got to really touch them on those human touch points. And is there a need for companies to ramp up their customer service online? It's a big thing. I mean, let's be honest, over 2020, we've seen an increase of more than 40% in terms of people gravitating towards online stores. As more and more people are looking to transact online, it's really important that you support those journeys. And not just, you know, having traditional, you know, customer service in the, in the sense that when people reach out to you, you're actually able to provide them real life support. Um, you know, people are tired of being directed to a phone line or an unmanned inbox. When they're reaching out to brands on social media, they're really looking for the community managers of those brands to be empowered and to really offer tangible customer solutions and support. And lastly, um, is there a need for companies to actually invest in social media or is it just something that can be done by anybody and anyhow? So, look, the reality is social media is actually a very specialized space. I think historically, a lot of businesses kind of, you know, gave the keys to the Ferrari to the intern in the office. But let's be honest, social media is a strategic tool that can drive real business objectives. So a lot of people go, yes, social media is great for brand awareness, but there are a ton of other business objectives that social media can really um, support. So whether that is driving traffic towards your online store, whether that is driving foot traffic to your actual physical store, or whether that is actually mining the rich data of your users and using that for your nurture journeys. All right, Leandri, thank you very much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That's Leandri Janssen van Vieren. No, that's, yes. Uh, Leandri Janssen van Vieren, she's with the company Social Media 101.
I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Masterclass Africa, where great minds connect. An explorative one-on-one talk show that seeks to tackle issues of leadership and consciousness on the African continent and around the world. Masterclass comes to you every Fridays, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central African Time. Channel Africa, bringing you the African Perspective. For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I'm Hilda Kekera for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including the COVID-19 virus if the person coughing has the disease. Now time for your latest economics news. Here's Nosilia Zuma. Thank you, Samora. Good evening. The South African Commission of Inquiry into State Capture has given former ESCOM and Transnet Chief Financial Officer Anuj Singh's legal team until the end of business on Monday next week to file a comprehensive affidavit. The Commission's chairperson, Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, says there is no justification for Singh not to appear before the Commission this Wednesday. Singh has been linked to dealings with the Gupta family, a frustrated Zondo who reluctantly postponed his hearing to a later date earlier said the evidence that Singh had given to the commission in the past had been defective. How does that help whether or not the summons is defective? If at the time the summons was issued, it referred to a non-existent affidavit that he must come and testify about a non-existent affidavit and issues arising from that affidavit which didn't exist. It's taken care of by the arrangement. But why was the summons issued which said he has submitted an affidavit when factually he had not submitted an affidavit? The International Monetary Fund Executive Board approved a disbursement to Central African Republic of about 34.4 million US dollars after completing the first and second reviews of its 115 million US dollar loan program. The country is facing the dual challenges of the coronavirus pandemic as well as a resurgent rebel offensive launched in opposition to elections held last month. IMF Deputy Managing Director in a statement said the fallout from the virus appeared to have receded, but the economy remained fragile.
The cash-strapped government in Liberia has introduced the use of personalized number plates for vehicles, adapt vanity or luxury plates. They will cost between 1000 and 1500 US dollar annually or roughly 22000 rand. The annual fee for regular plates is usually around $100 depending on the vehicle. A shortage of stock feeds in Zimbabwe has hit the market with poultry farmers going from one supplier to another in search of the major input for their business. This comes at a time the country is faced with a shortage of maize grain, a major raw material in the production of stock feeds. Maize is also used for production maize meal the country staple due to poor supply of the product locally the price of maize meal went up by almost 10 percent between november and december 2020 And finally, South Africa's opposition Democratic Alliance in Parliament says small businesses development minister Kumbu Zonchaveni has only authorized the use of 8% of the COVID-19 relief funds for small businesses. Government had initially budgeted 90 million US dollars for qualifying small, medium and micro enterprises affected by the pandemic. DA spokesperson on small business development in Parliament says he was written to he writ he wrote to the chairperson of the portfolio committee to urgently call Nchaveni to account before them. The minister must urgently report to parliament to explain why her department has failed to allocate 92% of the funds that it's meant as COVID-19 relief for small business. As the government continues to enforce extended lockdown regulations, small businesses and the breadwinners and families it supports will continue to suffer. This is especially true in our coastal towns, where beach closures have dealt a heavy blow to our coastal area small business owners. Uh, for your financial indicators, one US dollar will cost you 380.52 Nigerian Nara, 10.87 Botswana Bula, 108.70 Kenyan Shilling, 21.22 Zambian Kwacha, 15.41 Namibian Dollar, and 760.89 Malawian Kwacha in BRICS currencies. The US dollar is trading at 543 Brazilian Roll, 74.5 Russian Ruble. It's at 73.26 Indian Rupees, 6.46 Chinese Yuan, and 15.41 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 73 pence, the British pound and 82 cents through euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,859 and platinum at $1,778 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $57.29 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Nusikhezuma. the globe every second there's always a breaking story what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people the government concurs with the views of the black economic empowerment council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that 
discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Now for your sport, here's Musubudi Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with cricket news, Australia head coach Justin Langer has defended Steve Smith after suggestions that the batsman deliberately scuffed up the crease during the final day of the drawn third test against India. Now, Smith denied accusations that he was trying to remove the marks used to guide India's, uh, India's batsmen at the crease. Smith, who was banned from playing and sacked as captain, Back in 2018, following a ball-tampering scandal in South Africa, was heavily criticised on social media for the incident. Meanwhile, cricket's landscape uh, could expand to unexpected horizons as early as next month if a bilateral series between Afghanistan and Zimbabwe goes ahead in the Middle Eastern country of Oman, where the test match format has never been played before. The itinerary of two tests and three T20 internationals has yet to be finalized and remains uncertain due to COVID-19 travel restrictions. However, the secluded Oman Cricket Academy ground in Almeret is ready after meeting standards set by the International Cricket Council to host tests having previously hosted limited over matches. Now, Oman are relative newcomers to cricket's global stage with their only appearance at a major tournament coming back in the 2016 T20 World Cup in India where they upset Ireland in their debut outing. On to our football news, uh, Nigeria reached the semi-finals of the ongoing Wafu Under-17 Cup tournament in Lome, Togo. On Tuesday, after Group B, Paysetters Cote d'Ivoire hammered the Black Starlets of Ghana 3-1 at the City Stadium Municipal. Channel Africa's Tono Obani reports. Five-time world champions Nigeria who lost by the odd goal to the Ivorians on the opening day of the competition and were forced to a 1-1 draw by the Starlets at the weekend needed a favour from the Ivorians to progress to the knockout stage, and the Ivorians obliged them. The baby elephants raced into the lead after only nine minutes and uh, consolidated at 2-0 as the match won. But the Starlets themselves, two-time champions of the world, pegged back their neighbors to leave uh, Nigeria's chances on the wire. The Iglesias and their Ghanaian counterparts had both scored two penalty kicks on Saturday. It was the time for Ivorians to benefit as they netted from six years with 20 minutes to go to make it a commanding 3-1 win. On to tennis news, Arena Sabalenka from Belarus opened the 2021 season exactly where she left off last year, notching her third consecutive title at the Abu Dhabi WTA Women's Tennis Open with a dominant 6-2, 6-2 victory over first-time WTA single finalist Veronika Kudemetova of Russia. Now, world number 10 Sabalenka extended her career-best winning streak to 15 straight matches with her hour-long win over the Russian following her 
2020 season-ending trophies at Ostravia and Linz with a crown at this year's season-opening tournament. Arena Sabalenka just can't stop winning. It is a hat-trick of titles for the Belarusian who from start to finish in Abu Dhabi has dominated with a display of astounding quality and aggression. She won the last two tournaments of 2020 and she wins the first one of 2021. Defeats Veronika Kilimatova 6-2, 6-2 in just over an hour. Meanwhile, Britain's Francesca Jones qualified for a Grand Slam for the first time with a crushing victory over Lu Jung Jing in the final round of the Australian Open qualifying event. The 20 year old beat the Chinese Lu 6 Love 6 1 in just one hour and one minute. Jones was playing in her first overseas Grand Slam qualifying draw at the tournament in Abu Dhabi. Those are sports news at the SAR. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up this hour of Africa Digest. Be sure to join us again later for more news from an African perspective. Right now, though, taking us to the top of the hour is some music. Be sure to enjoy. We'll see you later.
Sound. 